Welcome to the last Chi Alpha service of 2021. I'm so thankful to have you all join us as we get to celebrate this past year and just look ahead. If this is your first time with us, I'm so thankful that you decided to join us in our last service this semester because it's never too late to jump in and let God start moving your life. Amen? Amen. It's never too late. So this is your first time. Hopefully you're just getting started. I also love and hate senior speeches because it makes me tear up over there because I'm going to miss Matthew, but it's so cool what God has done and God wants to do that in your life as well. For those of you who haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and I am the pastor here at Chi Alpha. All right, I want to tell you a little story. So in the eighth grade, I got a girlfriend. She was in my life skills class, and something about me sewing this pillow just terribly, somehow that seduced her and just won her over with my nice sewing skills. You guys don't seem like you believe me. All right. Anyways, up until this point, I hadn't really had a real girlfriend. Like, I had other girlfriends. They weren't quite the same. Like, we never talked in person. We just, like, Facebook messaged and text. So it wasn't really real until this one. This one was real. See, and this relationship started us talking in that life skills class. And then it went on to us starting to text each other. And that was pretty fun. I had someone to text in between my Xbox games. That was kind of fun for me. We even went on a date. And that was fine and dandy. Things were going well. We're vibing well. Marriage is probably on the horizon. That's just the way it seemed in eighth grade. But then she asked me to do the unthinkable. Actually, two unthinkables. First, she asked me to hold her hand in public. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I was not about that life. So I've, to be honest, I've really never liked PDA, except for a weird few months time when I was dating my now wife, Taylor. I loved her so much I was willing to overcome this hatred of PDA, but that was a weird blip. Don't, if you were around back then, just throw that out your memory. But anyways, before her and after that, like now since I'm married, I also don't like PDA. So I did not want to hold this girl's hand, but she really wanted to hold my hand on the way out of life skills class. That wasn't the only thing she did though. She also wanted me to sit next to her at lunch That would lead to people like talking about us and recognizing that we're dating. That takes it beyond just texting to everyone knowing. Plus, if I'm honest with you guys, I didn't really want to sit next to her and her friends because I want to sit next to my friends. That was more fun for me. See, this created some tension in my spirit. I didn't know what to do. My worldview was being turned upside down. I had these competing desires. See, in one hand, I really enjoyed having someone to text, and it was fun that when I wanted it, I had someone to talk to. I was sinful, forgive me. Anyways, and I liked that part of it, but I didn't really want to talk to her like at school or around other people. I was in a rock and a hard place, you know? It's really hard. Pray for eighth grade Derek. He had a rough life. This led to some deep inner turmoil, so I had to make a choice. I'd either go all in with this girl or I had to bail. I chose to bail, but let's forget that part for the rest of my talk because that doesn't really apply. But let's just act like we had a choice to make, okay? I broke up with her. I asked her, how do you want me to break up with you? And then I did it. It was really bad. (laughs) Grace, we love Jesus. He's so good. Amen and amen. Maybe you've been like me. Maybe you've struggled with inner turmoil at some point in your life. You've had competing desires. Maybe this competing desire or inner turmoil has actually been really prevalent this past semester. See, maybe Chi Alpha and Jesus specifically have made you have to evaluate your life, your actions, what you want your college experience to look like. We all struggle with some inner turmoil about something, and there's usually some inner conflict, and maybe this has been even more so this semester. 
See, in our relationship with Jesus, there's going to come a point in time where we have to decide, am I going to jump all in or am I going to bail? We spent the last few weeks going through the the characters of the Christmas story and how they were in different seasons of life when we came to that first Christmas. Jesus showed us that we need to live a life of meekness, and that the key to exaltation is actually lowering ourselves. Mary showed us that we can live a life of trust, that although it won't always make sense, we can trust God in whatever season of life we're in. Joseph showed us what it looks like to surrender to God, that when God comes and turns our world upside down, we can surrender to him and give him the control that he deserves because he's God. That week, Pastor Katie preached, and she preached the paint off the walls if you were here. It was pretty awesome. So anyways, give her a high five on the way out, make her feel uncomfortable. And then finally, last week, we talked through Simeon and Anna, and they showed us what to do in our seasons of waiting, how we can wait well through waiting expectantly, expecting God to move and trusting that in his timing, he will come through on his promises. I really like Simeon and Anna. I think their story is really cool, and they're two of my favorite characters in Scripture because all they're really known for is waiting well and waiting their whole life just to meet Jesus. I feel like that should be our life aim, right? As long as I meet Jesus, then we're all okay. I just love the beauty of that and the simplicity of it. I love it so much that we're going to talk about Simeon and Anna one more time tonight. Specifically, though, we're going to look at what Simeon told Mary and Joseph when, she met, or when he met Jesus. So remember from last week that Simeon was in a temple and he heard from God that he was going to meet the coming Messiah before he died. Simeon and the rest of the Jewish people or the people in that time period in that space were, have been waiting for this Messiah to come for hundreds of years. The whole Old Testament points to the coming Messiah that was going to save the world from their own sins. Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus was the hope of his people. He's the light in the darkness. And this is why in this Christmas season we focus so much on joy and hope and we look at the bright things, the lights, the stars, the glee of this Christmas season. However, we would be remiss if we just skimmed past this very real and to be honest, not as cheerful prophecy from Simeon about what Jesus' coming actually means. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter two. It'll also be on the screen. Luke 2, 33 through 35. Again, this is what Simeon told Mary when he met Jesus. And his father and his mother, as in Jesus' father and mother, as in Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for this season where we get to reflect on your birth, God. Thank you for these students who have been here this semester, God, just growing closer to you, Jesus. I pray that the best is yet to come. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The first half of Simeon's prophecy, he says that Jesus is appointed for the fall and rising of many. In other words, people are going to be polarized. Many will oppose Jesus and his followers and his teaching. See, Jesus' arrival did not usher in a season of peace and prosperity, but rather the arrival of Jesus brought conflict and division. Jesus specifically in his lifetime had conflict with two groups of people. First, Jesus had a lot of conflict with the religious people of his day. These people were called Pharisees. See, these religious people, they were hypocrites and they were judgmental and they thought that they could perform their way to heaven. They could perform their way to God. And Jesus came to change that mindset. Jesus came to say that no, judgment's not the key, but rather grace. He came to show them that as Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But on the same time, he came to tell them what Ephesians 2.8 says, that by grace through faith we are saved. That we can never earn our salvation, but that God loves us enough anyways to give us 
the free gift of grace. See, Jesus kind of ticked these Pharisees off. Jesus taught them some things that were relatively countercultural. For example, he taught them to turn the other cheek. He taught them that we need to actually care about the oppressed, that we need to care about the poor. Jesus taught social justice. Jesus taught that we need to care about the less than in our society. Jesus taught that the rich, instead of actually just being more blessed, actually the poor are blessed. Jesus taught them that we need to care for the poor. We need to be generous. Instead of Jesus hanging out with the religious people of his time, he actually hung out with the sinners. See, Jesus came to turn the religious world upside down, and this brought division. He messed with the status quo, but the status quo needed messing with. That's the conflict that the arrival of Jesus brought. However, while Jesus brought conflict to the religious people, he also brought conflict to the pagan society. And I say pagan, I mean, those are people who did not follow like our God. They didn't follow the Jewish God, who again is our God, but rather they followed many gods. They would have like household gods or like the God of the sun, things like that. They would have like Zeus, things like that. And they would worship these many gods. And Christianity was a conflict for them because Christianity is about exclusivity. Jesus and his followers were exclusive to following one God and one person as in Jesus' teaching. So the exclusiveness put Christians in a collision course with everyone in their society because the people in their culture said we were allowed to have as many gods as we want, we're allowed to do what we want, believe what we want, but Christianity said no, there actually is right and wrong. Christianity said no, there's actually only one God. See, Christians seemed intolerant because they weren't open to this many-god society. And because of this intolerance, Christians weren't open to the same jobs, relationships, just opportunities that many other people from their society had. This can sound a little familiar to our present society, right? Christians are deemed as a threat to the social order because we have an exclusive attachment to the teachings of Jesus and his beliefs. And again, we're seen as intolerant, which brings hostility. We believe when Jesus, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to God except through me. There's only one way to God, and we say it's Jesus and his teachings, and this can bring conflict. All this to say, the birth of Jesus ushered in conflict that has permeated throughout history with him and his teachings. So for the peacemakers in the room, and those of us like myself who absolutely hate conflict, this is hard to hear, right? Like, Jesus, God, the good one, he brought conflict too. My parents fought all the time growing up. I don't want any more conflict. Maybe you think conflict's what makes me run and hide. How could a good God bring conflict and division? It's a fair question. Again, I hate conflict, so this is kind of hard to think through. However, when we look at our world, I think sometimes we actually need conflict. Here's an example. I want you to imagine that there is an all-white neighborhood and then a black family moves into this neighborhood, and one white family is nice to them, while everyone else is hateful towards the black family, they don't include them in their relationship, and they just are racist and mean to them. See, the one white family who is loving to that, the black family because they realize that racism is wrong, that's going to bring conflict to that neighborhood, right? That's going to make the people around them not agree with them because this white family is standing up for the truth and that's going to make them feel bad. It's going to make conflict come. 
Because the white family who loves the black people are not going to just sit by and let them be oppressed or hated because of their race. See, they stand up for what's right. They stand up against racism, and that's going to cause conflict with their other white neighbors. To me, that conflict seems like good conflict, though, because they're standing up for something that's important. They're standing up for a principle that is true. I would rather, and I think God would rather, and I hope you would rather them stand up and stand up for the oppressed people rather than for the sake of peace, letting black people be hated in their neighborhood for the time they live there. Makes sense, right? There is such thing as good conflict because peace in that situation would just be the white family keeping quiet. But peace is not the answer there, but rather conflict is. And that's a symbol of the world that Jesus entered. Jesus entered a messed up world full of sinful people with sinful and evil desires that needed a wake-up call. What Jesus is teaching here in this conflict is that we can't have Jesus and the things of the world around us. Jesus' life was lived in such a way that his disciples chose to have exclusive attachment to him and no other gods, which again was different than the rest of the culture. And the fact that his disciples had this exclusive attachment to him is a testimony to the prophecy of Simeon. Many people fell away and didn't rise, as Simeon said, because they didn't want the exclusive radical teachings of Jesus. They wanted to both follow God in their own ways, and Jesus showed that that is not possible. Jesus' whole life was ushering in a new way to live. His birth was the introduction of the kingdom of God onto earth, And this kingdom was very different than the world around them. That's what led to conflict in the rising and falling of so many. Living a life like Jesus is going to cause conflict and it's going to cause us to look different than the people around us. We won't look quite like the religious people of our day. If we're honest, I think a lot of religious people of our current day are like the Pharisees, We can be judgmental, we can be hypocritical, and instead of being welcoming, religious people can shut people out. Sometimes, religious people, we struggle to love people well. That was my whole story when I was in high school. I grew up going to church every Sunday. I followed God, but I was also judgmental about the people around me and their sin, when in actuality, I had so much inner sin that it was ridiculous. But see, my inner pride wasn't as much of a big deal to my friends who were partying and cussing and sleeping around with girls, so I thought I am better than them, and I got to judge them and be a hypocrite to them which is not lining up with the teachings of Jesus. See, although I wore the label of Christian, my heart did not match up with the teachings of Jesus that say we must have grace for people. So we won't fit in with the religious people of our day who can struggle with that legalism, but we also will not fit in with the secular people of our day. We will be seen as intolerant because we believe in right and wrong. See, us as Christians can be seen as intolerant because we are exclusively attached to Jesus and believe that his teachings alone are the way. And sometimes that can make us seem judgmental. Not because of our hearts or because we're actually judging people, but more because our actions don't look like the world around us. Because while we abstain from partying and sexual sin, gossip, deceit, all the things that college students struggle with, we will be different from the world, and that will cause conflict, right? Sometimes people are going to look at you and say, why are you so different from me? And just because you're not partaking in the action with them, they're going to assume you're judging them. So we won't line up with the judgmental people because we don't want to be judgmental, and we won't line up with the pagan or secular society because we're not living the life they live. All this to say, as Tim Keller says, the manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of inns. The manger 
That Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there will not be room for you in a lot of inns. What a joyful Christmas message. (laughs) Amen. It gets better, though. Verse 35, Simeon tells Mary that a sword will pierce through her own soul. It doesn't sound better. It'll get there. Trust me. All this is meaning that Jesus did not come to just bring division in the world. His arrival also brought internal division and conflict inside of our own souls. For Mary, this happened throughout her whole life. There's a point in Jesus' life when Mary and Jesus' other brothers are saying, Jesus, you're kind of crazy. They're trying to like reel them in, like, all right, you've been teaching this whack stuff. Come home. Let's like anoint you with holy water or something. And let's get that evil off of you. Come on, Jesus, you, you've been a little extreme. What does Jesus do in that moment when his mother and brother start to doubt him? He says, no, my family is not them. My family is anyone who's obedient to the kingdom of God. That probably hurt Mary a little bit, right? When her baby boy chose the truth over her. Probably hurt. But I don't think that's Mary's biggest moment of a sword through her soul. The biggest moment of this inner conflict was probably when Jesus was on the cross. When Mary looked up and saw her baby boy, her joy, her life, her hope, on a cross to die, that probably made her doubt some things, right? Maybe she doubted that he was actually the Messiah. She's like, how could the Messiah be killed? Probably made her doubt that it was all worth it. See, for Mary, not only was her Messiah or Savior dying, so was her son. I would think that the death of Jesus probably impacted Mary more than any of us more than anyone in that time, because it was not just her God, but also her little boy. And that's exactly what Simeon promised Mary. He said, you're going to have a sword through your own soul, and that was pointing exactly to the moment of Jesus on the cross. And I think as Simeon promised this to Mary, he was actually promising it to us 2,000 years later. I think for some of us, this sword in our soul moment, maybe it happened in high school or earlier in college, or maybe it was in childhood, However, I think for most of us, this moment of inner turmoil, what I'm calling the sword through our soul, of second guessing, of doubt, I think that moment of inner turmoil may have happened this semester. What a crazy semester it's been. God has done so much these past few months. Just think back to August. For many of you, you had never heard of Chi Alpha. You're just starting at you and I, and you had no clue what was going to happen. I pray that you're a little bit closer to Jesus now than you were then. Think back, we had our beginning of the year Chick-fil-A party where we met most of you for the very first time. Then we had our first service and started our Hope is on the Horizon series where we looked at Jesus and how we have hope through him. How our hope is not in what we do, but in whose we are as a son or daughter of Jesus. And then we walked through the three pillars of Chi Alpha. We talked about real devotion, which just means being intentionally intimate with Jesus through abiding daily. That abiding word means to spend time with God, reading the scriptures in prayer and other spiritual disciplines. I pray that as we started talking about real devotion, that you started pursuing a life of real devotion. Maybe you started reading the Bible for the first time. Maybe you started doing this more consistently, and you started to grow in your life towards God. I'll go out on a limb and say, maybe you're not exactly where you want to be yet, which is okay, but I venture to guess you've been around all semester. You're probably a little bit more devoted to Jesus now than you were before. We continued on to our second pillar of Chi Alpha, of real community. This just means that we create vulnerable fellowship. It means we are real and honest with each other. That we do life in community with other people. That we have fun together. Finally, we talk through our third pillar of real responsibility. We learn that we are called to find, feed, and fight for other students on campus. That we are called to share the good news of Jesus with our friends and our classmates who do not know him yet. That we are to seek spiritual formation where we find a mentor who is a little bit further along in life than us. 
And then we also find someone who's a little bit behind us in the journey to God, and we push each other, right? We get mentored by someone, we get fed by someone closer to Jesus, but then we also feed someone else, and we pour our lives out for the other people around us and help each other be more like Jesus. We also fight for people, meaning that we speak the truth in love, and we never give up on people in Chi Alpha. Hear this, I'm never going to give up on you. There's nothing that you could ever do. You could spit in my face, make fun of my dance moves, and say, screw Chi Alpha, and I'm still going to love you. It would be sad, though, especially the dance part, because I think I'm pretty good. Anyways, after the three pillars, we went on to talk about the Holy Spirit. Maybe we talked about the Holy Spirit in a way that you've never heard of before. Maybe it was slightly confusing. Maybe some new idea like the baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues was thrown, has thrown you off a bit. We're just kind of confusing and new from where you grew up. It's all new. It's all strange. We talked through these ideas and how we need to live, a, if we want to live a life where we have everything that God offers us, we need to press into the Holy Spirit and watch Him move in our lives. Finally, we've had this sermon series that tells us to be humble, to trust God, to surrender, that God is smarter than us, that we can trust God in our seasons of waiting. Throughout these teachings, throughout this semester, you've heard things like sin is not the breaking of an impersonal law, but the breaking of the personal heart of God. That God's laws are not motivations for obedience, but rather they are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. You've heard things like love finds a need and meets it. These truths that are a little counterculture. While you've been learning these things on Tuesday nights, you've also most likely been in a small group of guys or girls in the similar season of life. I'd imagine that small group may have been a different experience for you. They've asked you to be vulnerable, to share your deep thoughts, your sin struggles, to be open with other people. All this while looking at the teachings of Jesus. All this while being held accountable to actually pray and read the Bible and confess our sin struggles. It's a lot, right? We've learned a lot. To sum it up, we've learned that following Jesus is not going to church once a week, but rather it's actually a life-altering commitment. That to follow Jesus, we are called to deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow him daily, as God says, or Jesus says in Luke 9, 24. And that not only are we to be fully devoted to Jesus, but we are also supposed to put other people above ourselves and find, feed, and fight for other people. That our time in college is actually not about a degree, but rather it's about making disciples who make disciples live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. This seems radical. These teachings, this semester is different, Right? Maybe it seemed a little bit extreme to you. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I agree that it's a little crazy. I fully understand that sometimes when I'm up here, I sound a little nuts. I understand that this has probably been a little bit different for you this past semester. Maybe it's different from what you're used to in church. Maybe it's been a little scary. I get it. I'm not that crazy. I know what I'm saying. See, I know that you came to college with one expectation, that you expected to live out the college experience, that you were going to make some friends, maybe go out sometimes, get good grades, get a degree, maybe hook up a few times, and live a life that makes you happy. Or maybe you came in as a Christian, but you didn't expect to devote your whole life to that, like you'd go to church on Sunday mornings and try to do things kind of right, but again, you're going to kind of focus on you doing you and setting yourself up for success in the future. I understand that that's what the world paints to us is what college is about, is about serving ourselves I understand that you probably thought these four years were about you living life to the fullest and experiencing the world. However, you got connected to this sorority-sounding church group, and now this crazy guy who wears probably too big of shirts is telling you to die to self and devote your entire college career to the cause of Christ so we can see the 10,000 students of you and I come and find hope through Jesus. It's a little bit off. I fully understand that this has probably caused some conflict in your heart, that you don't know what's right, that you look at the people of Chi Alpha and you say, well, they're happy, 
They're a little crazy or a little intense. They attacked me and asked me a lot of questions after they fed me Chick-fil-A, and that was kind of weird. But they do seem happy, and they do seem to love Jesus a whole lot. So it's probably, maybe it's intriguing to you. I would venture it is because you're still here. That idea is like, maybe I want that. While at the same time, while you've got those thoughts in your head where you look at the people of Kaiof and think, hmm, interesting, you probably also have an inner voice inside of you that's saying, if you go all in with them, you're not going to get to experience the things that you wanted to experience. That if you go all in with Jesus, this is going to change things. You're going to miss out on things. You're going to miss out on the college experience. You're going to miss out on all the fun, all the mems, right? As the great poet Fergie says, a little party never killed nobody. Why can't I have both? See, what it seems like is maybe for some of you, this semester, you had a sort of sword pierced through your soul. Something to create division, and you don't know what to do. Just like Mary. My best friend in the entire world knows exactly what you're going through. In the fall of 2013, a young freshman girl stepped on this campus. This girl had grown up in the church. She sort of had a relationship with Jesus, but she was excited to have the college experience. Quickly, though, she got connected to this weird group of Jesus followers known as Chi Alpha. There's about 10 to 15 people in Chi Alpha at that point in time, and there was not a whole lot of discipleship going on. So as she had these Christian friends lightly pointing her to Jesus, it wasn't really fulfilling her, so she had to seek this fulfillment from somewhere else. This led her down a path of trying to find fulfillment through things like doing things with boys, through partying, through drinking, through going out, really just through having the college experience. None of this really worked, though. None of this really fulfilled this girl, so she kept going to this Chi Alpha thing. She kept trying to see what is maybe this Jesus thing is it. And then in the spring of 2015, Pastors Daniel and Emily Quimby were called to come back to Chi Alpha UNI to take over Chi Alpha. And as they came back, they were looking at the current situation and the current students. They wanted to call some of them to leadership. And so one of the students that they called up to leadership was this female student. This led this girl to having a sword through her soul moment. She couldn't keep living both lives. See, with small group leadership came some standards like giving up partying and drinking and doing things with boys, and it meant she had to go all in with Jesus. There was no more double life. She either had to jump in and choose to make Jesus Lord, or she could choose to keep trying to find satisfaction through the world. That's the situation my wife Taylor found herself in 2015. Katie Boldy and Lexi Martinez, will you please, please stand up? They're in the back. Katie was in Taylor's small group, and Lexi was discipled by Taylor shortly after when she was a small group leader. Please stay standing. If you were in one of their small groups, will you please stand up? Also, if you were in Taylor Harris's small group, would you please stand up? We'll get there. She's not here anymore, but it, it works. Also, if you're in either Chloe Mundy or Isabel Wolf's small group, because Taylor led both of them. So if you're in either Chloe Mundy or Isabel Wolf's small group, please stand up. Cool. Now, if you are or were in one of these people's small groups, will you please stand up? 
Okay, if you are or were in one of these people's small groups, will you please stand up? Because my wife, Taylor, decided to go all in with Jesus when she had a sword in her soul moment, all of you are closer to Jesus now. Look around. This is the kind of impact I want to make. When I come to a sword of my soul moment, I want to be able to look back and say people's lives have been forever changed because I was willing to choose Jesus. Stay standing, please. If you were in my small group, please stand up. If you are or were in one of these guys' small groups, please stand up. I probably wouldn't be here if Taylor didn't choose to say yes to Jesus. So not only was that her impact, this is her impact. About 90% of the room is here because my wife was willing to say yes to Jesus when a sore pierced through her soul. When she was at a moment of saying, I'm either going to go all in with God, or I'm going to choose to keep trying to find satisfaction through the world, she chose Jesus, and this is what's happened. You can sit down. I'm very glad that when faced with a sword through her soul, that Taylor chose Jesus, even though it may have seemed a little extreme. So going back to Mary, her moment of conflict came when Jesus was on the cross. What happened just three days after that? In her greatest moment of inner turmoil, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave triumphant. The world and Mary's greatest moment of triumph came shortly after the moment of her, the sword piercing through her soul. This is the opportunity that you have. This semester may have been a semester-long experience of your preconceived notions, your plans, your ideas for life in college being challenged, of your ideas of what it looks like to follow Jesus being challenged, of being called higher than ever before, of being told that life is actually better if you go all in with Jesus, that Jesus doesn't just want a part of your life, but he wants your entire life, that Jesus wants to spend time with you every day, not just once a week, that life is better in community, that we can be real and vulnerable with each other, that we should remove the masks and be vulnerable with each other, confessing sin while we seek to grow in community. You learn that Jesus doesn't want you to just live life for yourself, but for other people. And maybe this has caused a conflict inside of you, and you're at this moment of soul piercing. Will this moment cause you to run from conflict and to sink back into your plans for college, or will this be your greatest moment of triumph? Will this be the launching pad of a college experience focused on serving Jesus? Or will I never see you again after tonight? I pray that's not true because I love you all very much. Maybe for some of you, though, this sword in the soul moment actually hasn't been this semester. Maybe you've grown like crazy, you dove right in the beginning of the semester, you've placed Jesus first in your life, and you've been running after him all semester. That is awesome. However, you may have a sword in the soul moment when you go home. Some of those old struggles or temptations might hop back up. Maybe you'll be tempted to think that what happened this semester was all fake, that you didn't really grow. Maybe you'll start to second-guess this community or second-guess what God has done in your life. Maybe a moment will come over a break where you have to choose, am I going to trust God and what he did this past semester, or am I going to go give back into my old life of what it was like in high school? And the reason I share all of this with you the reason that I challenge you to lean into this inner conflict and to choose to go all in with Jesus 
It's not because I'm here to steal your fun or make your college experience controlled by me. That's not what I'm about. But rather, it's because I truly love each and every one of you. I love you enough to speak the truth. See, this past semester, I've got to meet you. I've got to grow closer to you. I've been amazed by all of you. Through Tuesday nights, D groups, conversations, parties, through getting to know you, I'm convinced of two things, Chi Alpha. First of all, I'm convinced that I love you very much and you are all incredible. You are truly my favorite group of people on the entire planet. You're also a lot of fun, which is true. When I was dancing with all the girls and the guys were on the outside of the dance party playing Monopoly or whatever, or Mega Uno, I don't know what it was. I'm convinced of that. But I have another thing I'm convinced of, actually. The second thing I'm convinced of is that this group of people can change the world. I'm convinced that you can change the world. Yes, I'm talking about you. I truly believe that this is one of the highest potential group of people on any college campus in the entire world. I think that this group of people, that if we dive all in, if we work through this inner conflict and we choose to go all in with Jesus and throw some other things aside, that we will turn this campus upside down. See, I believe that you have the potential to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I believe you can live a life of real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. I also believe that you can find, feed, and fight for other people. I believe that you can make a world-changing difference on this campus. That the 10,000 students of this campus can come to find hope in their Savior of the universe that came to this earth on Christmas Day 2,000 years ago. So let's say you want to jump in, you want to commit, you're like, okay, I'm choosing Jesus. Now what? Well, the best first step is to go and have an incredible break. That while you have break, you live a life of real devotion, real community, real responsibility, that you read the Bible over break, that you pray, you read Jesus' books, you avoid temptation because home can be a hard place to be holy. You live a life of real community. You stay in communication with your small group you do fun things with your small group. You join a local church or you come back to Scent Church. That'd be fun. Finally, you live a life of real responsibility. You have Jesus-centered conversations. You create a schedule or routine. You serve your parents and family. You serve them. Instead of coming back and judging them for not loving God enough, you come back and serve them because that's a testimony to who Jesus is. If you do these things, you will have an amazing break. You'll stay connected to God. And you'll come back ready to see what God does this next semester. Also, please don't forget to rest. You've earned that. You've worked very hard. Now you can rest hard. Rest up because God wants to do some big things this spring. The main idea this evening is when a sword comes through your soul, look to Jesus. When a sword comes through your soul, look to Jesus. What this means is if you have an inner conflict, if you're not sure whether or not to jump all in and look Jesus be Lord, or if you want to just have the college experience in that moment, if you look to Jesus and you see him on the cross dying for you, that will be motivation enough to say yes, Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight, and if you're honest, this semester has been a season of turmoil. That your ideas of college have been turned upside down, and now you're kind of stuck and don't know what to do. You don't know whether to jump all in with Chi Alpha and Jesus or to run and hide. My encouragement to you is that when I was a freshman, I made the decision to go all in with Jesus, and I've never looked back, and I'm far from perfect, very far from perfect. See, before that, before my freshman year, I tried to find fulfillment through everything else in the world, and none of it really worked. Only Jesus has filled that hole in my life, which is why I preach this gospel 
it's because it's the only thing that's worked for me. My other encouragement is that only Jesus is worth it because of who he is. See, not only did Jesus choose to have a humble birth, he came into this world as a humble baby, but he also left this earth humbly on a tree paying for our penalty because Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all through dying on the cross for us. Jesus loved us when we were most unlovable. And to me, that action of him sacrificing everything for me, that simple action makes it worth it to our, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you, Jesus. And when I have conflict, when I don't know whether to dive all in or to run, I'm gonna choose to dive all in because I wanna see what you've got for me. See, when Mary saw Jesus on the cross, I imagine that she doubted everything. She didn't know what to do. However, I also imagine, I guarantee that when she saw his resurrected body three days later, she did not regret her decision to being the mother of the Messiah. I guarantee she did not regret letting Jesus be Lord. When we get to the end of our days, we are all going to look Jesus in the eyes and getting to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. It'll make it all worth it. But you know what's going to make it even more worth it? Is that while Jesus looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant, he's also going to be looking at an army of people that you've helped bring to the kingdom of God because you were willing to find, feed, and fight for them. And not only will you be hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, the person behind you will be hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, the person behind them will be hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, because you are willing to not only live a life of real devotion, real community, real responsibility, you are willing to find, feed, and fight for other people so you can make disciples who live a life of real devotion, real community, real responsibility. And you have this opportunity as a college student here at UNI. You have the opportunity you can make this next season of life about you and getting your degree and just doing the things that make you happy and I will still love you so much. You can do that. However, I challenge you that if you choose to make Jesus Lord and let him run your life, that you will be so much more fulfilled after you're done. When we see Jesus at the end of our days, it'll make it worth it pushing through that sword in the soul moment. It's been a great semester, Kyle. And that's a wrap. That's it. Can't impact the last semester, but we can certainly impact the next one. Let's choose Jesus. And let's see what he does with this group of people. If you'd all stand with me. I want to give you two ways to respond tonight. The first opportunity I give to you is if you are in this place and you haven't made Jesus Lord at all, you've never let him be the king of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And the way we do that around Kai Alpha is I'm going to count to three. And with everyone closing your eyes, bowing your heads, when I count to three, I'm going to challenge you to raise your hand as an outward symbol to God that you want to make him Lord. So that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus. I want to try this Jesus thing. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for paying it all. Jesus, thank you for being such a good God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. I want to give you a second way to respond this evening. If you want to commit that in this moment of turmoil and conflict, 
that you want to commit to Jesus and trying this Jesus thing. If you want to commit the rest of your college experience, whether you're Matthew Johnson and that's three days, or if you're a freshman and that's three and a half years or four and a half, depending on your study habits, if you want to commit to making that time for Jesus, I'm going to challenge you to raise both of your hands up high to God right now. If you want to commit to going all in, I challenge you to raise your hands up to God. And we're going to worship together. We're going to sing this song together. And as we do, I challenge you to worship Jesus with everything you have. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that we can be a group that's fully devoted to you, Jesus. I pray that we can be a group that chooses you in the moment of inner turmoil. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.